I thought I would just start by just welcoming to you to the new year and just to think about um, one or two of the ways that we're going in terms of the preaching. Um, we're stopping Luke for three sessions in this new year. And we're going to have a look on at three sermons really to get us started and infused with God and ourselves and what he's doing in us in this new year. So I'm going to start off today on feasting on the Bible. Uh, we've then got two other ones, growing in prophecy and making disciples. So that's where we're going in terms of those. And then we'll be back to the Luke series. Um, I think feasting from the Bible, reading our Bible, looking at it, isn't necessarily a controversial issue, is it? But I'm going to say one or two things today that hopefully will get us thinking and challenged. So uh, um, I think in some ways, they're one or two things, so I'm treading a little bit of a tightrope. So I'm going to pray before we start, as I start to mention it. And hopefully, uh, you will come with me in the spirit that it is meant. Lord Jesus, we just uh, thank you for this uh, new year. Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that it's going to bring. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. Lord, just singing that song at the beginning, it is so good to be together again. We just pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you will use my words, you will speak to us all about your word, your Bible, about feasting from it. Lord, you'd, you'd speak to us, you'd help us to uh, understand your heart for us through the Bible this year. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Uh, so first of all, I'm just going to look at uh, three ideas, three stories, three concepts, just to get us going in terms of some uh, ideas about the Bible. I don't want to give you too much, I'm just kind of give you a bit of a tester. The first one I'm going to put up is a statue. I don't know if you can just put that up. Does anybody know which biblical character this statue is? John, no. Moses. It's actually Michelangelo's statue of Moses. And it looks a bit strange, doesn't it? It looks strange because it's got horns. And actually, a lot of the early statues of Moses had horns. Strange. Why? Well, I'm going to go into that, but it is interesting, isn't it? that so many of the early statues have horns. Um, interestingly, it comes from the Bible. I know, you, you just come with me. Come with me, don't look at me so strangely. I'll get there in a minute. And it comes from Exodus 34, verse 29. So, Exodus 34, verse 29, I'm reading for the ESV, says this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And that's the verse we know, isn't it? That Moses, when he'd been up in the mountain, he came down and they just looked different. He shone because he'd spent time with God. Well, again, we don't get horns yet, do we? No. And this goes back to one of the early translations of the Bible called the Vulgate Version. And the Vulgate Version was uh, written in Latin by the great early church father, Jerome. 
But when he translated this verse into the Latin, it had the idea of horns there. I'll say the, obviously I'm not going to say it in the Latin because I don't know how good your Latin is, but I'll say what the English version of the Latin says. And it said this, he came down from the mountain and behold, his face had horns. Strange. I don't know whether it was trying to translate something, whether he'd had a bad day and just wrote the word horns there or how it happened. But that got into the kind of myths and legends about the Bible. Of course, many people didn't read Latin at the time. Um, And interestingly, that version spent its time in the church, particularly into the Catholic Church, and the idea was still used up until the 1970s. And it's amazing, isn't it? how a translation of the Bible can change it. Because you go from this idea, if you think of, of what happened and how you feel about it, that actually Moses came down and therefore was transformed and he, he looked different because he'd been with God. So it's an encouragement for us that we'll be transformed when we spend time with God. That's our application, that's our understanding of it. To if you spend time with God, you look a bit odd. Or you get horns, doesn't it? It it kind of changes your whole perspective on what that means. And I suppose early on, this is my encouragement, that actually the version of the Bible that you read does make a difference. It does make a difference. You know, I'm quoting today from the ESV, English Standard Version, which I recommend. I think it's a great version, although sometimes there's quite complex language in it. You've got the New International Version that many of us in the 80s, I remember I learned, a lot of the, the verses that I've remembered have come through that. You've got other versions that were written for particular things in particular ways. One of the reasons I like the ESV and NIV is I know a group of people got together, scholars, who know much more about the ancient Greek that the New Testament was written in, or the ancient Hebrew that the, the Old Testament was written in, and they talked together. I said, well, could it mean this, and could it mean that? To avoid this kind of issue, there were a group of people doing it. So I just thought I would start off with Moses with horns. I thought that might get you interested. Um, I'm now going <laughs> to... My second one of these is looking at a story... Um, which is written by Duduni Tamfu. I don't know Duduni Tamfu, but I know that he is part of Desiring God Ministries, which is uh, linked with John Piper um, at Bethlehem Baptist. Now, um, uh, John Piper, uh, sorry, Duduni Tofu makes, gives this story about a church he attended. He said, I once attended a church and listened to a sermon titled Your Lost Glory. The prophetess preached from Luke 15, 8, which says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? So that was the verse. A verse we know, don't we? And we could probably say which, um, which part of the Bible it comes from. Um, And we know a little bit about that. But to my dismay, he says, as he continues, she came on stage with a broom and said, we need to sweep our spiritual houses and find our lost glory. She named the lost glory of marriage, education and visas. Although I was shocked about such a misreading of God's word, 
I was far more surprised by the excitement in the crowd and the number of people falling down under her anointing. Now that story gives lots of questions and I could spend the rest of the time talking about it. But the element that I want to mention is just to look at that passage. That passage, Luke 15, verse 8. Now, if you look it up, and I'm not going to put it, but if you want to look up Luke 15, verse 8, it's called in my Bible, the parable of the lost coin. So there's a specific context there, isn't it? And in the ESV, all I'm going to do, rather than just read verse 8, which is always diff difficult, isn't it? If you just read one verse, there's lots of different interpretation that you can put on it. But if I look at verse 8 uh, to verse 10, it says this. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently till she finds it? We've already heard that. And when she has found it, verse 9, she calls together her friends and her neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I've found the coin that I had lost. Verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the content of that passage is very much about there's three parables talking about God's heart for those who don't know him, those the lost, those who have not met Jesus, have not given their life to him. There's a real context with it that is talking about the lost, God's heart for the lost. And of course, when we read it, we think about what about our heart for the lost? How do we feel? How do we pray? How does it affect us? Do we spend time with just friends in the church, Christian friends, or do we spend time looking for the lost? It's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the context, the, the kind of application there was all about sweeping your house clean, getting yourself sorted. Now, without going too deeply in it, we should make sure that our hearts are clean, shouldn't we? We should be regularly thinking, you know, what, what, you know, what's my heart like? Do I have the right attitudes? Have I got things in order? I don't want to have a mess in my life. I want to try and do what I can. So what they were saying wasn't completely wrong. It just wasn't right from that verse. And to be honest, it didn't take a huge amount of biblical study and looking at the Greek to look at that. It just took reading a couple of extra verses. Okay, my apologies for the next one. I thought I would look up on Google most, most misunderstood Bible verse. I wonder what you think would come up. Here we go. One of my favourite and least favourite verses in the Bible. Philippians 4.13. Many of you will be able to quote it, I'm sure. It says, I can do all things through him, who gives me strength, or through Christ who gives me strength, depending on those. Interesting. So why is that? Why am I talking about that one? Well, I want you to imagine for a moment, let me give you a context for this, that somebody is a youth leader talking to a young person about their life, and they're using this verse. And the person will say, well, look, you know, I don't know what, what, what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know what God's got for me, I, I don't know. And, you, and, and the youth leader, enthusiastically, could be saying, you can do anything. 
You can do anything. That's what the Bible says. You can do anything. So you start dreaming about being an astronaut. You could start dreaming about pulling people out of wheelchairs. You could start dreaming about being a maths teacher. Nothing wrong with being a maths teacher. You start dreaming about what you want to do. And actually, that isn't really the context of that verse. First of all, the verse isn't, I can do anything. It's, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. Or through him who strengthens me. There's a real focus on that element, isn't there? And actually, if we put that in context, and I've put up here this idea of context, content, and application, the way that we read the Bible, but if we do that, if we look at the context, again, in some passages of the Bible, to find the context, you have to do quite a lot of reading. You know, you have to read quite a passage. But in this one here, you really don't have to read very much. So Philippians 4, 12 to 13, says this. This is Paul talking to the Philippian church when he's been through, obviously, a difficult time. Those, you know, if you know a little bit about Paul, he didn't all have it easy on this earth as he preached Jesus. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secrets of facing, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So that's the context, isn't it? It's actually, I've been through it all. I've been through it all. It's been hard. But I know that I can get through this with God. And it's with him that means that I can do anything. It's through him that means I can go through these trials. And I can go through the good times and keep my attitudes right. It's through him that I can do, do this. So that is the context. And there's an element of content there, isn't it? It's to do with that encouragement that we can, as Christians, face anything and everything with God who strengthens us. And we think about those who've sac- who sacrificed their lives for their faith willingly and smiling we've talked about those uh, i've talked about those in 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 other times when i've preached this uh, last year and we have that element that we can do that so it gives us that confidence when we go through difficult times or good times sometimes there are challenges as well that we can do anything through him and the focus there is jesus isn't it it's with him it's not just me not that there's something amazing about me because you've said something No, no, it's through Jesus. Anyway, I thought that might be a little nice introduction to get us thinking about this and to talk about verses and how we apply them um, and put them into context. If I've I've, uh, talked about your favourite verse in a way that you didn't like, I apologise, but I think it's good to do this. Um, What I would like to do now is to look at just one thing to encourage you about reading the Bible. And that's the idea of Bible inspiration. We might say that the Bible is inspired by God, that it is biblical inspiration. And I just want to look at that in a little bit more depth to say, you know, when I am reading my Bible, when I'm reading those words, 
What does it mean that the Bible is inspired, that they're the words of God? What does that actually mean? And I want to do that from one verse. But in order to be true to what I'm saying, I'm going to put it in context for you. So, uh, it should come up on the screen. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 17. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 to 17. But as for you... Paul is saying to Timothy, it's in 2 Timothy, so Paul is towards the end of his life. You know, uh, many people think it's written from prison. But as for you, young Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from what you have learned, learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for the salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I could look at that all the way through, but I'm just going to look at one element of it. And this is the idea of Scripture being breathed out by God. Many, many of us may know All scripture is God-breathed, isn't it? Yeah? But this is breathed out by God, which I think is a lovely change in terms of understanding and looking at it. Okay, a little bit of Greek. That word, breathed out by God, so the breathed out word is theopunestos. I'm probably saying it completely wrong. Pneunestos like pneumatic drill, theopunesto. So it's the first part, theo, God, theos, God. And the second one, punestos, is breathed, or from the, the, mean, the, the verb meaning to breathe or blow. In other words, it's not an action of breathing in, but of breathing out. So when we're looking at the Bible. We're looking at a part of the Bible. We maybe even know or, or have a good opinion about who's written that part. This is not something that was inspired by the writer. This is something that's breathed out by God. Let me give you an example. I love cricket. I'm sure many of you were following it this morning as we saved uh, the fourth Ashes test with uh, one wicket to go. Nobody at all. Oh dear. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Anyway, it was very exciting um, early, early this morning. Um, But I could say I feel inspired to write a cricket book. I feel inspired by this because we saved it. Anderson played the last ball. I feel inspired by it. So I'm going to write something about cricket. But actually, a lot of those things that I wrote would be my ideas, wouldn't they? I would be inspired and encouraged. I would have a thought because of that match. And I would be inspired to write it. Well, that, I don't think, is the right way to think about the Bible. It's not somebody writing things down and being inspired. It's a good idea, so I'll write these. But the words are breathed out by God. They are breathed on the page. There's an element of intentionality. There's an element of accuracy. There's an element of, these are actually the words of God. This is actually God speaking to us. That's actually what we have in our hands when we have 
our Bibles. How precious is that? The word of God to us. That is ancient and also modern. Yeah, that is through the ages, but is also relevant to us today. So that's, if you like, is my encouragement to you in terms of reading the Bible, reading the Bible daily, chewing on it, really getting into the Bible in 2022, making this a year where we know the Bible more, we read it more, we get inspired by it more, we are more biblical, we understand it, we love it, and we're more biblical people. Is that okay? Okay. 14, 14 ways I'm going to give you now. I know. 14, this is just in one part, 14 ways to encourage you to read your Bible. How am I doing time-wise? Right, I'm going to speak really quickly. Number one, an encouragement to use Bible plans. Yes, Bible notes can be encouraging, but ones that say give you a Bible verse and then says, wasn't the sunset beautiful, is not going to help you read your Bible. But a Bible plan that says on day one, you read these, this part from James, you read this part from Leviticus, uh, you read this part from somebody else, that somebody has mapped out is really, really helpful. It's an encouragement to use Bible plans and to read the Bible for yourself. Some of it is difficult, yes, but is there for you to be read rather than take somebody else's opinion for it. Personally, I like to have theologians talking to me about it in a way that I struggle to get there or to read it myself and to have those both rather than the intermediate parts. But maybe that's just me. Number two, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you each time you read the Bible. It is an ancient book. So we're going to need the Holy Spirit's guidance because there are going to be times when our thoughts are different to the thoughts on the page. We will disagree with it because of where we've come from. It's not our natural way of life. So we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Number three, there are a number of reading plans that will help you read the Bible in a year. Is this your year? I have tried to read the Bible in a year more than once. The best I did it was four years. But I'm really pleased I did it. It's about four chapters a day, which isn't too much. Um, and if you pick up a Bible plan, it'll make sure you don't spend two weeks in Leviticus, which can be really tough. Okay, so there we go. That's number three. Number four, what about reading the Bible out loud? Much of the Bible was written to be read out loud to a group. That's the way it was expected. It was a letter from Paul or Peter to the church or to a group of people. And so it was read out loud. A lot of the Old Testament talks about reading the scriptures out loud to the people. Why don't you read the scripture out loud? Number five, if you're new to reading the Bible, and say, look, Bob, this is all very well, but where do I start? Let me suggest a gospel. Don't start at Genesis. Anyway, I'm not going to mention Leviticus again, but we can see where that's going to go. Yes, don't start there. Start with the gospel. My suggestion would be Mark or Luke. Number five, context, com content, and application. So when you read the Bible, think, do I know the context? Is there something I can know about it? Number two, content. What does it mean as I read it? Because most of the Bible, if you read it plainly, you, it explains itself, or there is something obvious. 
Some of the Old Testaments may be a bit more of a challenge, but they're always interesting stories. Take it on face value. And number three, always say application. What does it mean to me? My attitudes, my thoughts, my actions, how I deal with my family, how I deal with my work colleagues, how I discipline my children. Okay, number six. Number seven, learn key verses or memorize portions of scripture. I have tried over the years to uh, memorize as much of Romans as much of Philippians. Um, if I'm honest now, I don't remember those, but when I, re- when I read those passages, it really comes back to life, and I can link different things. So if you get a chance, and anybody at any age, at any time, can have a good go at memorizing Scripture, and it will help. I have to say, it's not as easy as it used to be for me. I don't find it easy, but it is great. Number eight, read the Bible every day. One of the ideas of the growth group that I've got that is a virtual growth group is to encourage one another and to keep each other accountable in reading the Bible every day. So I might, you know, say to somebody, oh, have you read it today? And somebody else might say, well, have you? Because that's what it is. That's why it's good to be in community in a church so we can keep other accountable. But sometimes we need that. I think reading the Bible every day works really well for a couple of weeks. And then after that, it gets a bit more challenging in that third week, and sometimes we might just need a prompt. Okay, um, number nine. Am I going quickly enough to this? Listen to the Bible being read to you. Many Bible apps, you just can just press play while cooking, walking, reading, even driving if you're careful. But whatever you'd spend a lot of time doing, why not have that? Number 10, why not read a whole book in one sitting? Some of them may only take 10 minutes. Just sit down and read a whole book. And you begin to pick out elements of the beginning and the end of the book and link them together. Some of them have overarching themes that once you've listened to them all, you actually begin to pick it out in a new way. Why not do that? Number 11, meditate on Bible verses or passages. What do I mean by this? I mean chew it over. Spend time with it. Say, do you know today I'm just going to read this short part, I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to think about it. I might read it at lunchtime and the evening and think about it and chew on it. And why does that link with this? How does, it, how does it link? What does it mean for me? How encouraging is it? But meditate, think on it, and maybe I'll do the same the next day. Just keep going because I want that to be part of me. Number 12, read Bible passages and even books repeatedly. This is something Steve's mentioned over the last couple of years and transformed the way I read the Bible. Now I'm, I've finished my Bible in four years. <clears throat> now I've finished my Bible in four years. I'm going through books. I've been going through Hebrews, uh, particularly over Christmas, and going over and over again and coming back to it. I thought, oh, that really looks a bit different now. And it links to the next part. And so I love the idea of going over and over scripture, not thinking I have to do different things. Number 13, read the whole Bible in a month. I love this. Apparently, if you don't watch television, don't watch Netflix, don't watch YouTube, um, don't watch Disney+, Plus, um, and all the other things that I can mention, Instagram, Facebook, you can read. If you just take that out and read the Bible, then you'll finish it in a month for an average person. Amazing, isn't it? You could actually read the whole Bible in a month. As I said, get a good reading plan so you don't get stuck for a while in a particular place. Uh, and number 14, because I couldn't have 13 points, enjoy. Enjoy it, because the Bible, reading the Bible is enjoyment. Enjoy feeling closer to your Father day in, day out. Enjoy the fact that you're becoming more and more like Jesus by reading and taking it in. Enjoy what you do. 
Lovely. Okay. Uh, so I hope that has encouraged you, has given you some practical things forward um, and been a little bit of an inspiration. And I just wondered how I would um, finish what I'm going to say. And I've got three endings here, but maybe I will start with this one. Maybe I'll just talk a little bit about one man in history who gave his life to translate the Bible. So our biblical translation has come from a number of academics who've got together and done it. But in the past, it wasn't that easy. And certainly before the Reformation, the main Bible that was available was not written in English. So people could not read the Bible for themselves. So I'm just going to say a little bit about William Tyndale and about what he did. You're not going to say a huge amount because of time, but if you want to investigate him, fascinating man and fascinating effect he had on Christianity in this country. Uh, apparently there were a number of partial translations into English made from the 17th century onwards, but Wycliffe's Bible in the late 14th century led to a religious uh, uprising and uh, ferment, it's called here. But it also led to the death penalty for anyone who was found with an unlicensed possession of Scripture in English. How, content how contentious it was in those days that you had to have a licensed Bible. Uh, his translation was the first English Bible to draw directly from the Hebrew and Greek texts. It didn't come from the Latin Vulgate. It came directly from there. What a guy. At that time, who spent all his time with a, a kind of, you know, chopped off feather as a pen, you know, in a, in a dark room. You know, he was that, he learnt Greek and ancient Hebrew and with others, didn't work just by himself. He was the main person with others, um, did that. He was the first English translation to take advantage of the printing press, absolutely crucial, and the first of the new English Bibles that led the Reformation. Um, he ended up uh, um, not being able to be in the UK, ended up in Antwerp in 1535, where he was arrested on the charge of heresy, because that's what happens when you translate the Bible. Trance of her heresy in 1536. He was found guilty, condemned to be burned to death, and uh, was betrayed by a friend. Oh, betrayed by a friend. So hard. And uh, if you want to know the grisly details. I didn't, that wasn't a great enthusiasm. Yes, we do want to know the grisly details. Well, he didn't actually die. He was actually strangled first before his body was burned, so that's how he ended up. But he was a man who dedicated his life, who risked his life and his followers and all of those in order to provide that version of the Bible in English. And if it's import, that important to him, really, that encourages us, doesn't it? What a precious, precious book it is. Um, let me finish off with 2 Thessalonians 2.15. I'm just going to read the verse, and it says then, So then, brothers, I'm going to say brothers and sisters, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. Let's hold to those traditions that we've been taught through the generations, through the Bible, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And that's what we want to do.
Let's make 2022 a year where we read and understand the Bible more than ever before. Amen? Amen. Amen.